everyone. I'm Mike Urbans, and welcome to It's Your Water. I'm glad you found us. Uh, I believe it was a, a Dickens novel, The Tale of Two Cities, that opened with, it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. <laughs> and I think that sums it up in our industry today. Our sales are booming, but we can't get any stuff. Can't get any stuff on time. So I've invited a fellow frontline supply chain sufferer to give manufacturer's perspective today of her uh, supply chain challenges. And without further delay, I'm excited to introduce another industry legend, Cindy Grisham of Thermax Company. Hi, Cindy. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah. If you can tell, we're still in the COVID interview stage where we are using our cell phone technology to interview people. So I always apologize if there's a tiny bit of quality issue there, but it seems to be working out. I've gotten no complaints unless people are quietly suffering there. But Cindy works for Thermax. We all know Thermax is a global supplier of chemicals and ion exchange resins. They're based in India. Cindy, of course, works in you know the stateside when she's their sales technical person. As you know, India, as with China, is a major supplier of uh, ion exchange resin to the United States. I've known Cindy probably 25 years now, I guess, and <laughs> that was probably, you started out at Purolite, but for the, those of us who don't know Cindy, I want to impress you with her bio from how you got into this industry, and you know, we only invite top-tier guests here. Cindy, could you tell us how you got your start in this industry? Because because a lot of people, you know, they want to know how everybody started. Well, I can tell you my first job actually with an ion exchange company was INAC in Birmingham, New Jersey. Oh. This started in 1975. At that time, I lived right down the street from the factory. And I was going to school at night. And they needed a quality control technician. They had an opening. Mm -hmm. So it was convenient for me. I started working at INAC then in 1975. So actually, I've been in the ion exchange resin business for 46 years. Wow. It's hard to believe how time has gone. And I was with INAC, which then became Cybron, and then eventually now is Langsys and whatever the name is now. Of course, that factory shut down in Birmingham, New Jersey. Right. But it was very near and dear to me. And my years there, I worked in quality control and in the development lab. So that's where my beginnings started. I took enough chemistry in college to get by and understand what I was doing in the lab, but really realized I wanted to get on the business end. So I switched to a business major, which I did do. Mm -hmm. So I knew certainly the owners of Pure Light from my days at INAC. And I can tell you, I also know the beginning owner of Resentech for my days at INAC. I was going to say We that. all came from there. Everybody came. <laughs> the alumni is amazing what INAC spawned. Yeah. Tom Dupnik from my former oh, yeah. ResChem days. He was uh, an INAC guy. Yeah. And you look at many of the books that were written, and I can tell you a lot of them came from there, and certainly Roman Haas, but there's one of my favorite books called the Ion Exchange Training Manual, written by George Simons. Simon, actually. And he is actually the gentleman that hired me. Wow. Can we get that book somewhere? Uh, you might be able to. I'll tell you what. It's a great book to have. 
you should be able to get it. So Tolox Publishing, if they're still around, they tend to have still a lot of line exchange resin books available. Mm -hmm. And the same with that gentleman who started that company. I also worked with him at INX. So it's kind of an interesting career. Yeah. And then certainly Pure Light worked there for 21 years and definitely enjoyed my time there. Yeah. And the same started in quality control, then actually worked in the factory somewhat, managing some areas in the factory. And then moved into liaison between production and sales. And actually quite accidentally started working in sales when Charlotte was looking for a salesperson in a certain territory. And I filled in temporarily and just ended up loving it. Yeah. That I've been now with Thermax for 17 years. And so anyway, that's basically a long career, three major companies in my adult life. And it's an industry that gets in your DNA, and I love it. Yeah, it is. It is so funny. We become lifers, literally lifers in this industry. Yeah. And I like to have people listen to these podcasts and get spurred on to realize what a wonderful industry this is mm -hmm. and how small it is and the talent and the people. You could just reach out to talented people like yourself and just there they are. You get all this information of 46 years of experience right at our hands in this little industry we call, you know, the water quality industry. So yeah, it is great. But moving into our topic here, unless you've lived under a rock, <laughs> we all know that the global supply chain is supremely screwed up right now. And Cindy has done everything for us to try to get ion exchange into the United States. It's like a perfect storm. What a wonderful title for a book, right? I mean, that that's now <laughs> in our storm. the perfect storm. I use it all the time. I hate to, yeah. but it seems like our industries are booming. We can't get enough stuff and the supply chain being what you experienced from barn factory to the United States is just suffering here. And so, I mean, there's currently 44 container ships, I hear, off of the coast of California. Just sitting there. At least, believe me, that's not the only port with the issue. Yeah. Now, yeah. what ports do you ship into and what is your logistical craziness that you suffer through just to share to these people that it's not me making up all this BS? No, no, <laughs> believe me, I we all love being busy and we all love taking care of our customers. So when the day comes that we cannot believe me, it's not our choice. Yeah. But you know, we really have to go back to how this started, Michael. And it did start with COVID-19. A lot of people really don't want to hear that, but I can tell you that's where it started. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning in early 2020, when the world was quite concerned about COVID-19 epidemic and really didn't know what to do with it. I can tell you, the world was really left at a standstill. And when you look at the numbers, and I don't know how accurate mine are, you read a lot of reports. So anybody can read something else and say, you oh, know, she's wrong. Then you can call me and tell me. But yeah. from the numbers I saw, the global economy actually shrunk by about a little under four and a half percent in 2020. Right. And that started it. And then there was, after we started to wake up from what happened there, there was a huge surge in consumer demand. Yep. And that's what started, believe it or not, a container shortage. What is going on right now is a container shortage. 
Right. It's not production issues at any factory. Most of all the factories are running. Even through COVID, the beginning of it, we never shut our factory down. Wow. We ran. People were isolated at the factory. So we were on like two weeks on, two weeks off. When they were there, they couldn't go home. Okay. Testing was ongoing. So this shortage of containers right now, it's basically a ripple down effect that completely disrupts supply chain equilibrium. And that is what's going on. We have containers and people will say, well, what do you mean? There's a shortage of containers. Where'd they all go? We've had them all along. So how can you tell me that there's a shortage? There are the same number of containers, but they're not where they belong. They're not in the right place. And this is the big, big problem. If you look at the United States, for instance, we may get in at one port, you know, I don't know, 100 containers somewhere. Let's say for every 100 containers that we receive in the U.S., we only export, I believe, about 40 containers. So you start building up containers here, even in the U.S., and there, there aren't ships available now because they're sitting out at ports that can take these empty containers back to, and China's the biggest country that really needs them. Right. So it's just this huge ripple down effect, container shortage. It's like container Magadden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and then with COVID, as the country started forcing down certain lockdowns, it did halt and slow down some regular transportation and production. And, Borders closed, so customs also became cumbersome because it took longer to clear customs, aggravating the already huge congestion issue. Wow. And then getting empty containers then back to China really came to a standstill. So that's adding to it. Right. It just goes on and on and on. And then when you look at, well, okay, why don't carriers just purchase more containers? Well, most of these containers are manufactured in China, believe it or not. <laughs> so, you know, that's where they are. And then the cost of these new containers, you know, where maybe they used to run $1,600 a year ago, they're up to $2,500 a container now. Right. So you're getting costs just with new container costs. Right. So now we're segueing into the cost to ship these containers. Yes, you got it. You got it. It went from $4,000 in the heyday to over $25,000 i am hearing now per container. Yes. Just picture those ships. Yes. All those ships with those containers stacked all the way to the moon and they're getting twenty-five grand for each one of those. I hate to say gouging but there's probably a lot of that going on, and this is probably going to get sorted out, too. I mean, supply and demand, I get it, but it gets me a little peeved. And, of course, you're at their mercy. It's not manufacturers like you that are jacking this stuff up. It's the trading companies. It's everybody scrambling, like what we do. And if you consider these ships that are anchored offshore, jamming up ports all around the world, they have daily costs. Everybody in business, you have what it costs a day to run your business. Yeah. You've got these big ships with all these containers sitting there for weeks doing nothing. And they have the same cost per day. 
Right. And then on top of that, you have weather. You had in China, they had a typhoon late July. So that kind of depressed what was going on in certain areas. Containers, uh, ships had to be diverted for that. And just the testing, and again, I always bring up China because a lot of the stuff happens there first, even and that disrupts everybody because they are one of the largest exporters in the world. Mm-hmm. They have COVID testing. So it's just not for people working there. It's for people coming in, for ships coming in. You have personnel on ships that are getting tested. And they will close an entire terminal if there is one case of COVID. One case. Yeah. They will close it. And then it's mandatory testing for the hundreds of other people that work there. So am I criticizing China for being careful? You know, not really. I think in the States and many other countries we've handled a little bit differently is that, you know what, you have to keep working. You can't just stop and do nothing. Mm-hmm. You have to keep going. But we're also not dealing with probably huge populations like they are and right. the number of people that they have and very small square miles, if I could say it that way. Yeah, people per square foot. I mean, <laughs> per so, square I mean, mile. It's, it's, you know, what some of these other countries go through, it's a little hard to do. So in our particular case, I can speak about India. At one point, we pay maybe $4,000 to have the container shipped here to the States. And I would say a period of four months, that went up to $16,000, $18,000. And again, depending on the port. Where you guys are, luckily, the port in New Jersey, which we call it New York, is still actually operating really well. You get to L.A., you can forget it. Yeah. We can't get in anything in L.A., nothing. They have ship after ship after ship sitting there. They have a shortage of workers at the port to unload everything. Yeah. Then they can't unload it. They have nowhere to put it. And then they can't get truckers to come in and pick it up or the rail yards are so full there's just absolutely no room yeah so it's just this huge you know ripple down effect that it's really caught up with us i'd say the last two months yeah i heard i have a carbon manufacturer from india they're bringing into east coast ports and then driving it freight truck across the united states which costs about eight thousand to nine thousand dollars, but it's still cheaper than the twenty-five thousand dollar container. It's just bizarre the stories I hear out there, just trying to survive and get the product into warehouses. And we hate to be all doom and gloom here, folks, but this happens every year, Christmas, the holiday season, and what we're seeing, even pre-COVID, is freight megadon in the United States where everything is being shipped from China to here and or shipped in the United States to warehouses. So what happens is those trucks now dry up or FedEx and UPS is completely jammed with Christmas shipments. So I guess what we're saying here to everybody is even the Christmas squeeze, it's going to get worse. Cindy and I kind of talked before this podcast and we said it's going to get worse we hate to depress anybody but especially around the christmas season so what i'm kind of saying is if we can get the product it's behooves you to stock up a little bit every year before christmas try to buy a little bit more into november or october just because the supply chain gets 
horrific in December and a little bit in the January because of the residual effect of freight. But that is awful important. And I want to tell everybody listening to this, you know, even though we're talking about, we hope to God it's timely, you know, it's just this maybe a year or so that it's going to happen. It's this awful surviving the uh, supply chain is going to happen maybe for another year or so. I don't know. But the Christmas season happens every year and we are noticing it's getting worse every year. So I'm impressed upon everybody to try to keep your supply chain, your shelves stocked before the Christmas season, as crazy as that sounds. It's always a lot worse around this time. And for example, we use the LA port quite often and always October timeframe, anything that we had shipping to LA, we'd always divert it to a different port because of the Christmas surge, especially at that particular port. And with what's going on now, with already the delays, with so many ships there running behind schedule, and it's just September 2nd, yep. it is going to continue just to pile up and pile up and pile up. And it's going to be a major Spookle traffic jam. <laughs> yeah, or the I-5. Out in the ocean there. <laughs> the 495 I-5 California. Yeah. Philadelphia Schuylkill Expressway, massive jam of humanity and and trucks going and not going. It's going to be stopped. And just impressing, we're not trying to push some sales goofy thing on you. It's just around that Christmas season and right about now, it gets worse and worse and worse and I don't see any Mm -hmm. relief. Which brings me to, we're painting this crazy picture, but the anion resin is almost 100% imported, right? Just about 100%. Yeah, and we don't see too much supply chain issues there, I guess because it's not used as much, but this is the you know dealkalizing resin, the uranium and removal, the nitrate resin. And why isn't it made in the United States? Not that that really matters because you, we can't even get any cation in the United States. Right. To, but still, right now. But I'm just saying everybody goes, made in America, you know, but guess what? <laughs> There's, that we can't even keep up in America. But why is the anion? You know, there's so much that used to be made in America. And yeah. when you're a manufacturing country, eventually factories wear out. That's the main thing to remember. When you're looking at chemical factories, they wear out. And you have to put huge amounts of money into them to get them refurbished. When you talk about anion resin, some of the raw materials, without going into all the names of what's used, they are carcinogenic resins, and which means they're cancer-causing. Mm-hmm. Generally, cation resin, the ingredients, if I use that term, that most people can understand well, they're not dangerous to your health. Certainly, you have to be very careful, but they're not cancer-causing. And there are chemicals used in anion resin that are cancer-causing. In the manufacturing process. From the manufacturing process, not at end use for manufacturing. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> Falling over. So, most of the manufacturing went to what we call an in-situ process, which means they're all enclosed. Everything is done by a computer outside of a room. So nobody is inside by these vessels anymore manufacturing these products. At least in India, they're not. I think even in China, most of us gone to in-situ and or it should have. So what that means is new factories had to be built. 
And when you look at the cost of building new factories, the cost is a little less expensive in China and certainly in India compared to building in the United States. Right. And in the United States, we do have many people who don't want a chemical factory down the street from them. So it's just, again, a ripple effect. So we started building factories overseas because we couldn't find any place to build them here in the States. Mm-hmm. And the other reason anti is so available is really what you hit on when you look at the household softening market. It's one of the largest markets in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Yeah. People care about their water. They care about what they're drinking. They want to get it cleaned up. And household consumers, you know, that's one of their concerns. You know, what are we drinking? And so it's a huge market here in the United States where it's, you know, not so much in other countries. Right. So that's the main reason there's far less anion used here in the United States than household softening cation. Lots of room for softening hard water in this country. Anion specialty. So, but I was always wondering why I could see it's it's more of the factory the cost of implementing a factory in the United States versus the foreign country and the hazardous chemicals used in the process. But, mm-hmm. well, that's good. I mean, and just the, the footnote again, all the anion resin, it's made with those processing chemicals, but it, they don't make it into the final bead, which are all NSF tested in the United States. So for quality issues. So oh, Absolutely. The finished product, there's no issue. It's just the Raw materials that go in to make it that then are out of the product once it's finished, once it's all cleaned up. Yeah. So I think we covered everything and we scared people sufficiently to become a little bit smarter, a little bit more. I think we've all learned this, but I just wanted to give a perspective of a manufacturer to see how awful the behind the scenes are right now. I think we should all just turn off all the news feeds and close our eyes and take a deep breath and just imagine we're in our happy place and at a beach or fishing spot or the top <laughs> of a ski slope. <laughs> That's how. This will end. Yes. It will end. We'll survive just it. Have to be a little bit patient. <laughs> Survivors we are. And, and we'll have lots of stories to tell around the campfire. Yeah, it's like, you kids have it easy. Yeah. Well, you remember the, <laughs> the COVID of... 2020 so we'll be these old people yelling at the young generation about surviving <laughs> our parents survived or our grandparents survived the depression and ww2 and now we have something that we said that hopefully we're all going to survive if we all stay healthy and do what we should but suppliers like us at urban's aqua and thermax are doing all we can to keep it going so Thanks, Cindy. Thanks for your time here. I really appreciate you taking some time and telling everybody your story. Trust the frog, as we always say. (laughs) Well, thank you, Michael. It was great being here. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks.